At this time, would ask Barnabas Grayson to come with our sermon, The Eternal Presence. let the uh, title mislead you. I won't be up here too long. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everyone. Good old Oklahoma weather. I'd like to begin by asking, what keeps you alive? What keeps you going? What keeps you energized? What stokes the fires of your existence? That was a funny, wasn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> I see some of you still smiling. <laughs> well, we know we need air. We know we need food. We know we need uh, a lot of things to sustain our life. And if we don't have it, we're going to run down. Our bodies are going to run down. So air, water, and food. Of course, we could put clothing in there, too. But we need those things to keep ourselves alive. And so that's how we are able to live, how we're able to exist, how our bodies keep working. But, you know, over time, our bodies do run down. Our energy begins to wane. And, you know, just like a clock, we've been wound up. Of course, we don't wind up clocks much anymore. We have a clock at the house, though, that Carolyn, she... Uh, about every three days, four days, she winds it up and keeps it ticking. And, uh, you know, you have batteries sometimes that you are ready to replace in your flashlight or whatever thing you might have that is battery powered. And you hope that the battery has energy in it so you can uh, shine a light or, or run your electronics or whatever it might be. But those things do run down. It's just the way of things. And it only goes so far. You can eat all you want, drink all you want, do those things that keep your body alive, but you know, even exercise, still your body's going to run down after some time. I don't mean for that to sound depressing, but you know, sometimes when I think about that, you know, there's only so much I can do. That's the physical side of life, but God is eternal. We are temporary. And we need God's Spirit to help us to understand life and to know what it's all about. There was a recent Gallup survey that showed that less than half of Americans attend church on a regular basis. And I, I'm not for sure, I didn't recheck that statistic, but uh, about 40% don't even go to church. So this reminded me of a sign that I once saw on a church marquee a long time ago, and it said that if God seems far away, it's because we are. So yes, if God seems far away, it's because we have let other things get in our way. We let other things dim our vision. And so we are in need of spiritual things to help us physically, and to help us spiritually. And we don't want to get lost in a crowd that is going the wrong way. Everybody may look happy going that way, but in the end we know that there, it doesn't come out good oftentimes. 
But sometimes the world is very tempting. It all may look good, it all may sound good, but it's not right and we can, we can be snowed under and lose sight of God and his purpose and his truth. We're warned that it could happen. Even the Apostle Paul said that we could, he could become shipwrecked and that there are scriptures that say some could turn away. And so we have a scripture that encourages us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and so much the more as we see the day coming. And we can equate that with going to church if we want to. And for the New Testament Christians, it is a way in which the Apostle Paul was inspired and taught by Christ to leave us with a means to come out of the world and to get close to God. And so much the more as we see the day coming. You know, we can take that to mean uh, the great tribulation that is to come upon all the world. Or we can look at it in another way. That there is a time when life can suddenly come uh, be cut short. Or we can suddenly face some trial or some trouble. And in those times, we don't want to, be, we don't want to come up short in faith. Or to be so far away that we just have to, uh, all of a sudden, try to get back on track. So it's during those times that we want to be as close to God as we can. And having the strength and, to, and faith to endure whatever trial or problem or trouble or difficulty there is to overcome. Jesus Christ said to us, he said, in this life you will, you shall have tribulation. We're going to have our share of trouble of trial, and, and so on. And another scripture says, but if you faint in the day of adversity, your faith is small. And so it's like that sometimes when a trial comes along and it suddenly comes and we find I don't have faith. But, you know, we know uh, God's love. We know that we can trust him. We know that we can get down on our knees and ask him to help in those times of trouble. So we are to always be ready as possible. Ephesians 6 tells us about the armor of God. Now I won't read all of that. But to drop down to verse 17 in Ephesians. We see that this is spiritual armor. That is to guard our minds and our spirit against doubts, against fears and evil thoughts. In verse 17, and above all, taking the shield of Faith, faith is a shield, wherewith you shall be able to withstand all the fiery darts of the, of the wicked. So faith can pull you through. Scripture says to us that the just shall live by faith, not by sights or what we see. We also know that he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he must uh, exist. And to believe in his eternal presence, that he is always there. I planted some petunia seeds a couple of weeks ago. Started them indoors. I'm not really very good at it because for some reason they don't all grow. But still, these petunia seeds are very tiny seeds, you know, like the size of a grain of salt. And so you put them in the dirt, you water it, and, uh, and then you, like the package says, it says 
uh, will germinate in seven to 14 days. And I knew that I could trust those words and I could hope that it would all come true. And for a while, as it was under the soil, under the dirt, I looked, you know, kept looking at it and wondering, well, is it going to crop up? But, you know, I still had hope. And it wasn't until I saw these tiny little green sprouts there. You can barely see them if they're coming above, uh, above the dirt. And as a week and a half later, and so I know that they must grow, and then they will blossom in about 80 days or 60 days from then. But anyway, with care and watering and sunlight and falling directions, we can read God's word in the same way, placing our faith and our hope in the word of God that we have. We also know that faith comes through the hearing of God's word. Sometimes we listen to TV or to radio or to someone else and you know it touches our faith touches upon the things that we believe and we also read where it is through the foolishness of preaching that we also come to faith and I know I stumble around sometimes I forget what to say how to say it and, and why I said it. I misspeak but in the end it is my prayer that that uh, the word will produce some fruit in somebody's life I know that as I uh, go over these words and over these uh, places in Scripture that, you know, God holds me very accountable for what I preach. But human nature is basically selfish, seeking only to please self and to uh, be men-pleasers rather than God-pleasers. So to a lot of people, God is far away because of such things, because there is little trust in the word of God. Or oh, they might think about it, they may trust in it a little bit, but there's not that dynamic truth, that dynamic hope that uh, we're assured of. And we also know that people, that God is far away to people because there are at least 10 good reasons why. But we live in an age, in a society, that is exposed to all kinds of influences, you know, as seen on TV, as they say, or in the movies, or in books, or on the internet, or in politics, or in books, or at work, or at school, even in religion. And we follow along with others, what others may think and do, which, which can be bad if it is against the way of God. Now, we know that he told us, that he said to us to obey his voice and to keep his words. He said, keep my commandments, and we know that it will go well with us. So, the eternal presence is among us, and not since creation has he gone away. He had a plan for Israel, but they became... Uh, in bondage to Egypt, you know, Egypt, a type of sin. And God heard their cry, and it was time to be actively present in their life once again. And so he called Moses out of the burning bush. In Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses asked God, he said, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, 
and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, Well, what is his name? What is his authority? What is his power? What shall I say unto them? And he said, the reply from the burning bush was, Ea, Asher, Ea, I am that I am. And so some Bible margins will translate this as, I save in the manner in which I save, or I will be whom I will be. Thus shall you say, in uh, verse, verses 13 through 14, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations to be known as, you know, the I Am. So throughout Scripture we see Lord, which is spelled Y-H-V-H, is used at least around 6,000 times in reference to God as I Am. But on the other hand, we see El, or God, used around 2,000 times in Scripture, but it's used just as confidently as the Tetragrammaton we know is spelled Y-H-V-H. Names, of course, including titles, express the character and personality of the one it refers to. For example, my name Barnabas means son of consolation. But I don't always feel, you know, <laughs> meet the meaning of that name. And God has many names, and we've referred to him in, in many ways. But names, of course, including titles, express the character and personality of the one it refers to. The essential meaning of the, this Hebrew appellation, YHVH, is self-existent or ever-living or as the eternal, as we sometimes express it. The uh, I am is derived from the letters of, the Hebrew, of a Hebrew B verb, Yah. And in Exodus 3.12, the English verb uh, be, where it says, and this shall be a token unto you, that, that is a B verb, and it's from the Hebrew verb uh, Yah, from which it's translated. So it is then interpreted as I am to convey the meaning of ever-living, which is his memorial, which is his name. That's his reputation, his renown as eternal forever. His name is Yah, says Psalm 68, 4, conveying the sense that he is and shall forever be known as the ever-living one. He is also known as El in Hebrew, or God in English. Now, believers know whom they are referring to when they say God, or uh, use God in reference to I am. In fact, Scripture shows the saving power of the being that most know as God is not limited to that one appellation. Believers know that there is but one God, one Lord, though there be many that are called gods. Daniel referred to him as the great God and God of gods and Lord of lords. God is used, uh, or El is used in many places in the Psalms. So he can be referred to in many ways. God of everlasting. 
So scripture shows the saving power of the being that most people know as God is not limited to one appellation. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5, for, for though there be that are called God, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be God's many and Lord's uh, many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are still of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, we by him. So believers know that there is but one God and one Lord, though there be many that are called God, but they're not, because there's only one God. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 17, he refers to him as the great God, God of gods, and Lord of Lords, using the word God, or El. As the I am, we know that the eternal God is always present. But in today's world, in this age, this age that we live in, he either seems far away to some people, or he just placed far away, pushed away from being close to him. Today, some long introduction, I know. I promise I won't be up here for a long time. Today, we'll look at his eternal presence among his people who believe and trust in him and, and how he is always with us. There was a quote that someone once said that more than a noun, God is a verb, which is, you know, an, an interesting thought. What is God like? To know about the eternal presence, to know about God, to know about the everlasting one, we need to know what God is like. And, you know, that's a pretty deep subject. There are so many places in the Bible that describe what God is like and what he is, his personality, his character, his presence among us. A Bible commentator said that our finite minds cannot attain to perfect knowledge of God in this life. But what we do know about him is what we read in the book, this book that we call the Holy Bible. We see in places that he is called the Ancient of Days. He transcends time and, and all that is physical. He's boundless. Isaiah 66, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build me? You build unto me. And where is the place of my rest? In 1 Kings 8, verse 27, it, short scripture, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heavens and heavens of heavens cannot contain him. How much less this house that I have built it. So we see that God is not limited to exactly one place or one location or one personality, or one character. People meet in churches, or temples, or synagogues, and uh, cathedrals, and some of them are, you know, real big and impressive. Some small and, you know, barely noticeable. But where is it that he chooses to place his attention? Back in Isaiah 66 again, in verse 2, talking about the things that man makes, churches that he builds and so on. For all those things 
has my hand made, talking about the heavens and the earth, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look. He that is poor or humble and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. So we know that God created all things in the beginning, and we read of that in chapter uh, 1 of Genesis because it says the very first thing, God created the heaven and the earth. And in verse 25, we see that God made the beast of the earth after its kind and cattle and everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And then he said in verse 26, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. So mankind was created for the purpose of becoming like God in character and holiness. And that purpose still continues with us today. He created Adam and Eve from those two people, and life was passed on to us today. In verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God made it known that they were to begin human life and he provided them the essentials to make life interesting, made it beautiful, gave us things that we could enjoy. Verse 29, and God said, Behold, I have given you every bearing herb-bearing herb seed, which is upon the face of the earth, all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. But as I stated earlier, human life is temporary. Animal life is temporary. The grasses of the field are temporary. The flowers of the field are temporary. But God is self-existing. So from day one of creation, God was, and he is, and will always be. Now, there are three attributes that we've seen in the past that uh, we've looked at that belong to God and that we sometimes uh, may wonder about from time to time. One is, is his omnipotence. That is the potential to do everything and anything consistent with his will and his nature. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 27, it says that with men it is impossible but not with God. With God, nothing is impossible, says the scripture. In Isaiah chapter 38, we read of Hezekiah. It says that Hezekiah, in those days, was sick unto death. He was dying. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, 
for you shall die and not live. Very bad, disturbing news. It's going the way of all life. It's appointed a man wants to die. Life is temporary. So Hezekiah, he, had, he turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. You ever wept sore? Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add unto your days 15 years. And I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. So Hezekiah wept sore for his life, asking God to remember him, and, and God heard his prayer. And whatever it was that was getting ready to take Hezekiah's life through sickness, he was very sick, God was able then and there to take care of that. And at the time, there was, uh, the city was facing a threat by the hand of the king of Assyria. And he said, I will defend this city. And sometimes we wonder, well, what's, what's going to be the sign? How do, how do I know? Can I trust in these 15 years? And you know, sometimes we always doubt. But this shall be a sign unto you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which is gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, Ten degrees backward, so the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. It's like looking at, at the face, you know, face of the clock, you know, it's say like three o'clock and then it goes back in time few, uh, some hours. Or a shadow that's, you know, made by a post from the sunlight. The shadow is moving in a certain direction, but then that shadow just goes back. Somehow, with God, all things are possible that he caused that to happen. So we look at his omnipotence. The second thing, the attribute of uh, the eternal God, is his omniscience. That's his comprehensive knowledge, meaning he knows all things about how the universe is run, but even how people think and what uh, they think they think. In 1 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 9, he's talking to Solomon. And you, Solomon, my son, know you the God of your father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord, the eternal, searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the heart. If you seek him, if you seek him, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So God knows the hearts. He knows the mind. He sees what we do. He is aware of both the good and evil in man. But in the middle of it all, he seeks those who seeks him. And he becomes aware of their desire to follow him, 
to be found of him. Third thing, attribute, is his omnipresence. He's always present in some way to help. You may think, well, uh, he didn't save me all the way, but he was present there to give you what a person needed at the time or anyone, whatever their need might be. In Psalm 139, it says, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. You know when I get up. You know when I get uh, set down. You understand my thoughts from afar off or afar off. You can pass my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, O Eternal, you know it altogether. You have beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If you have a mind to uh, get away from it all, make yourself far off from God, he knows where you are. He knows what you're doing, just like he knew uh, uh, Jonah. If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And so we see in all this, as in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. So those three attributes, we see uh, what God is like. But in all of these things is his righteousness and his, also his patience toward man in dealing with those who, who deserve punishment for their evil deeds. When it became known to Adam and Eve, both good and evil, it became a matter of choice to them. And lest they eat of the tree of life, they, they were taken out, out of the Garden of Eden. So we know that much of mankind to this day has chosen an evil path and wicked ways. And all of that brings pain. It all, it all brings sorrow and death. But the Creator God has given mankind, you know, just a short period of time to live and to learn and to experience and to overcome the ways of this world. You know, generations come and go. They have different influences. They have different things to deal with. But all in all, there is good and there is evil. And it's a choice. So, some, for some, it seems there is no God. Or that he doesn't care or he's powerless as the world goes on in its evil ways. Even God's people, those who believe in his eternal presence, have afflictions that beset them, or they fall prey to the bad that is in this world, even from religionists, as Paul suffered in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, of the Jews. Five times received I 40 stripes, save one. This is 1 Corinthians 11. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned three times. I suffered a sh uh, shipwreck, a night and a day, I have been in the deep, been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, 
in perils of robbers. I did leave off some of the um, scriptures. I didn't give them all to Brian. I thought maybe you might like to look in your Bible every once in a while. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. You know, perils are dangers. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hand. So God does things. Even though we might find ourselves in perils, his eternal presence is there to deliver us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So we know that Paul had a lot spiritually going for him. He was, you know, well trained in, in, in the word, in scripture. And these things could have led to vanity. So there are things sometimes that keep us from thinking too highly of ourselves. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And, you know, whatever is weak in us, God it, it will see to us at some time or another, or in a, in a glorious way, it will come about. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, Scripture reminds us that the just shall live by faith. In spite of the perils, in spite of the afflictions, in spite of things going against us, the just shall live by faith. And when that time comes, you know, we just... God is there to help us through. And this is what takes God, take, God takes attention toward. Our continuing faith, our continuing faith in him in spite of adversity. John chapter 4, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, verse 18, it says that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So Jesus Christ, you know, as we read his words, he describes to us what God is like, what his Father is like, because he himself is in the image of his Father. So by faith we know that the eternal exists. We see his handiwork. In Psalm 19.1 it says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. 
You can look at some of the uh, NASA photographs from uh, those satellites way out in space, and you can see some of the some of the wondrous events that have that have happened a long time ago, millions of years ago. Uh, stars being born or, or uh, turning into uh, black holes and so on. There's a glorious thing up there above our heads when you uh, think about it. He is revealed in the things that we see, in a flower, in the design and sound of a bird. He is revealed in little children. So many ways we can uh, see God revealed. He's also revealed in the things that we don't see because it takes, you know, the lens of a, a microscope to see those tiny things, those atoms, the DNA, the things of that sort. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God looks very much in disfavor toward those who would deny his hand in the beauty of creation, of nature. And he's not pleased if they deny the truth as he has given it to us in, in his word. Verse 19, because they... Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. You know, they can explain the physics. They can explain, explain the d dynamics of nature using words of praise to describe all these things. And many are the men of science who discover these wonders of nature, the marvels of creation, only to say that there was no God needed as in evolutionary thinking. Verse 24, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's eternal presence. And he can also be seen in one another. He can be seen in us, those who have his spirit, as well as in nature or in the earth or in, in heaven above. John 1 John 4 8 tells us that God is love. So we're to be like him. He tells us to be holy as he is holy. Set apart in that love. You know, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's what comprises uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. Love. Righteousness. Love, we see, is an outgoing spiritual quality. And if there's anything that can really put you close to God, Bring him closer to you is this exercise of love. From the uh, NIV translation in um, 1 Corinthians, Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanking or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then it describes this love. I, love is patient. 
You know, it doesn't lash out or, or react harshly to things or situation. Love is kind. It's not mean. It's gentle. It, it does not envy. Love is not ruled by jealousy or, or vanity in, in that way. It does not boast. You know, it doesn't brag. It's not proud, puffed up, or, it looks, or looks down its noses on others. Verse 5, it's not rude. It is not self-seeking. You know, it's not selfish. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It, does, you know, it doesn't hold grudges or has a list of uh, uh, you know, slams to say. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It's protective. Love is protective. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never gives in you know, to hate or, or animosity. And in verse 8, love never fails. And where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And so we trust in God's love. We trust in that kind of love for us. We know the familiar scripture, John 3, 16. You know, God so loved the world, he gave us his son, that if we believe in him, we will have everlasting life. So to believe in God is to believe in Christ and to believe in that love and the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Also from uh, the NIV, the New International Version, 1 John uh, in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Let's go to verse 8. That's right, verse 8. I'll start with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, you know, for our wrongdoings, for our evil thoughts and all the things that go against uh, his, his righteousness. And again, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if, you know, if it doesn't seem like someone loves you like they should, you know, we're supposed to have patience. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So God is not far away. He is the eternal presence. In the King James, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23, he says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Verse 24, Can any man hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? So the reason that he may seem far off is because many separate themselves from him by going opposite his way of love and not having the faith that is needed. In Isaiah 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that, it, that he cannot hear. So he will respond to whatever our need might be. 
verse uh, 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And the world, much of the world is lost in these things. Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perverseness, none calls for justice nor any pleads for truth, they trust in vanity and uh, spread lies, they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. But God has called out a people as ambassadors for his coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, a government that will be established on the earth. But until that time, there will be problems, there will be trials, there will be doubts. But we are expected to overcome them. Proverbs 16 and verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. So those who are in control of their spirit, their emotions, their behavior, have the heart and strength of a mighty soldier or a general but more so. So we must choose to stay close to God. James chapter 4, from where do come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You know, the spirit of greed, competition, uh, contention, and the likes. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw close to him, and he will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, <clears throat> how are we made close to the eternal presence of God? How can we draw near? We know that it is through prayer. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and uh, it shall be opened. And as Christ prayed, he said, uh, give, us, uh, give us this day our daily bread. The other way is through study. You know, like Second Timothy tells the, about Scripture, being an inspiration that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And I won't read through all of this passage, but from 2 Timothy 16 through 25, uh, you can look into that. But verse 25 of that, But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So we're not to be just hearers only. And we must believe in his eternal presence. As read earlier, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. 
If you abide in, my, in me and my words, in John 15, 7, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in, he, in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. So God is not far away, neither is Jesus, who is at his right hand, watching and waiting our growth, our faith, just like that petunia seed or whatever seed you put into ground, you know, they have hope for it. There is hope. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So his eternal presence in our life means eternal life and everlasting life that is in a time that is yet to come.